living in a for 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 living in Home to the only hype-free, investment-based crypto podcast. Satoshi Nakamoto said it was going to happen. You know, I want half a million dollars of exposure to it. Ethereum. And, you know, everybody that's trading this was doing what I was doing today. A 51% attack where the chain split into three different chains. All of a sudden, I have Ethereum in my MetaMask account. And so anything from a regulatory standpoint that stifles DeFi is bad to Welcome everybody to the December the 14th edition of Foot Guns. I'm your host, Boomer. I think today we're making history in terms of crypto discussion as we have the first ever legitimate journalist on to talk to a person who legitimately understands crypto down to the coding level, down to the data science level. So we're joined today by Jonathan V. Last, and you get the title JVL, like how are all these people getting the title, you know, the three-letter treatment, the LBJ, the RFK, the, the you know, you usually have to get shot, but now you've got, you know, Alexander Ocasio-Cortez, Marjorie Taylor Greene getting the, the three-letter treatment. How did you get the three-letter treatment? You know, it's funny. I, I have been JVL since I was like five or six years old, and it's just, you know, this is... Nobody ever called me John or Johnny or any of the the other versions of Jonathan, the shortened version. My nickname was always just the three letters. And that literally is true since like first grade. Uh, and then I don't even know how, I don't even know how that sort of transitioned in my professional life. I think it was probably just, you know, when I started the Weekly Standard, Fred Barnes probably said, what do you go by? Go by John? You know, and I, I said something like, uh, no, sir, people either call me just Jonathan or JVL. So, so uh, uh, it's a, but don't you think the standard's been lowered a little bit for the three-letter treatment? I mean, Marjorie Taylor, MGT, like, or whatever. I, I, I don't yeah, know. I, you know, there are just things that that naturally move toward this. My, my little brother uh, is, 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 his first two names are Benjamin Joshua. And what I discovered for him is that anybody whose whose initials are BJ winds up getting known as BJ, and right. this this winds up being true with I think the initials AJ as well. A friend of mine just had a baby; they named their baby Arthur Joshua, and uh, that kid is going to be AJ for all of his life. And so there are certain certain uh, pairings and combinations of three letters that just naturally lend themselves to the three letter. You know, no, nobody's ever going to be like, oh, that's WLM over there, you know, <laughs> right. but, but if you have, if you have the thing, you know, AOC works, JVL works, these things fit together. Yeah, use... like um, SBF too. Remember today in the, today in my newsletter, I had to write the CEO of FTX SBF. <laughs> right. Which was there again, I think it's just sort of getting handled out. So for the Footguns audience, uh, this particular journalist, um, JVL is uh, writes for the Bulwark, a, a democracy maximalist organi- uh, uh, organization, and he's uh, got a long career in journalism as sort of a Frank Rich type person or a, a David Brooks person who does more than just journalism. He also, I, w- I would describe him as a, a cultural critic. 
He wrote a wonderful piece in his daily newsletter, which you can get by signing up for uh, Bulwark Plus, about uh, titled "The Dow of NFTs," where he explores his crypto journey, as Wasabi would put it. Um, and so we wanted to kind of just go down that article and get, you know, have a, a journalist talk to an actual um, DeFi DGen about uh, some of the, the the claims that you make in your article. Um, the first one being that the blockchain is not ready for prime time. And you've included a, a chart, which we'll put in the show notes. We'll, we'll tweet out and put in the show notes, but it shows that, that we are, we are in a chasm of, um, and a trough of disillusionment. So how would you, would you like to address his chart? Um, um, well, I don't, I don't think we're there, by the way. I think we are pre-chasm. I think we're we're some point in the run up to to a, a bust, and then everybody fleeing the tech, and that becomes the slough of despair, or the chasm, or whatever the whatever our business school friends call it. I mean, for me, it's 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 really the money and the developers. Like, so I think I think you have two different like markets basically going on at the same time and you have you have the people that are like coming in here speculating figuring out what crypto is the first time they want to get rich they see it as like hey i can become like a private equity investor and there's nobody that you know nobody closing the door in front of me so like i'm gonna go just buy this you know 10 10 million dollar market cap coin because what if it goes to a billion dollars you know um and then you have the other thing that's going on which is you got the the younger people not all of them are younger some of them are, are older but the tech, the tech focused crowd that sees this as like a hyper, hyper tech play, right? Like I, I can come in here and I can write code and then I don't, I don't necessarily have to go and sell a product and get advertising and stuff to, to make money. I can literally just write code and then I can go sell that code in the form of a token to people. So I think if, if there's a chasm of, of money, um, those tech people are going to hold on a lot, lot longer and, just like looking looking at the past, I mean the the birth of DeFi came out of the worst of the market, right? Like the D- DeFi summer was 2020, and that was when Andre Cronjet showed up and, and taught us all that we could start trying to build yield products like on side inside of crypto, right? And then that just like exploded out into all these crazy projects that we have now, and then you have swapping on the exchange uh, you know swapping on like sushi swap uniswap so like exchanging on on the crypto platform so i think i think certainly there could be a chasm of um money just like getting uninterested in the space but i i'm i'm ultra bullish that there are so many developers that want to get into the space that when investors start looking around and go what am i going to invest in next like all of the talent is going to be inside of the crypto sphere still so I want to take issue with both of y'all, and that is in in the diagram, uh, you say there's a classic diagram that plots the theoretical potential of new technology. So as I learned from the current chairman of the SEC in his online MIT course on blockchain, this technology, blockchain technology, goes back to 1974. It's actually not a new technology. So given the fact that this has been around since 1974, does this does this does this graph even apply? I mean, it's been around since 1974 in the same way that uh, the internet had been around since 1954, right? I mean, 
yes, technically, but as a practical matter, not not actually. Yeah. And I, you know, I, I think I think that's right about the the dev side talent staying with crypto. I mean, you know, out in, in tech world, the talent sort of moves in flocks and waves to wherever they think there might be a place to go for to be first, right? And so there was there was a when we had the mobile revolution, everybody in the world went for an hangout to to I'm gonna make an app. And then as social became more dominant, everyone went to to you know, the top engineers were going to work at Facebook or Twitter. Uh, and the if you were a young, ambitious engineer at this point, what what is the frontier that looks like the Wild West where you could make your fortune? It looks like crypto. Uh, and and maybe that'll be true in the in the long run. I I'm not sure that it is true. And one of the things I look at for crypto is a lot of the use cases which seem to make the most sense to me don't have business cases for them. It's like, for instance, why couldn't all of our property titling be done on blockchain, right? Instead of, instead of having the deed for, for your house be kept on file at the county courthouse and whenever you go to sell the property, you have to pay a title inspector you know, $2,000 or whatever to, to go and look up the deed and, and make sure the property and the title are clear. Why couldn't that all be on the blockchain? And the answer is, there's no reason it couldn't. That's that's perfect use case for blockchain. On the other hand, there is no business there because in order for for that to become a business, uh, there has to be somebody who can make money by disintermediating the, the, the incumbent. And I think in a lot of cases where blockchain makes sense, there isn't really a way for anybody to make money disintermediating the the old regime. How? I think they could. I think, um, I mean, just taking your example, right? Like it costs money to uh, execute an Ethereum transaction. So if you want to save a deed to a house on Ethereum, like first of all, you have to understand how to use the network. You have to understand how to use it in a safe way. And then there is a level of accounting that has to be, you know, just because I I put a transaction onto the Ethereum network, like I have to be able to then present that back to like, uh, you know, the real world in a way that, you know, they're not just like, oh, go go look up this number on Etherscan and you'll see your, your deed or whatever. So you could charge a service around that. You could, you know, your, your expenses would be the Ethereum network and the computers needed and things like that. So, yeah, I think... Um, I think it's going to happen. I mean, I think there's a lot of people out there that are trying to do it. I think um, the 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 big issue is just a, a, a philosophical thing, right? Is that people, you got to go convince some guy that having a piece of paper that says he owns a house in this filing cabinet, uh, it's worth it for him to pay 50 extra bucks so that it's on the Ethereum network, right? Like, so I think that's where the issue is. Like, um, how do you convince that guy to give you more money so that you, instead of having, you know, a piece of paper, you now have um, a thing that they don't really understand, right? I don't think anyone really understands what it means yet to, to have a record saved on the Ethereum blockchain that anyone in the world could, could validate. Right. I, I just, I just think the value proposition is going to take a little bit of time for people to like mull over. Well, using that specific example, a couple of things. One, you know, we have local registers of deeds who run for election, right? And so we, we trust them to sort of oversee it. 
it definitely costs money. And you can, at least in the United States and most jurisdictions, you can go and look up who owns a p potential piece of property online using a guest map, a server, or whatever. So oh, most of that's online already if you want to use that specific example. Um, point number two. Exactly, exactly. So the, so the, the, the step that the person would have to take is being like, oh, well, there's a real risk that that online database ha you know, is centralized. And so there is corruption. There is you know, literally what happens if the, the power goes out? What happens if you know, some of these internet services are compromised? What happens if that's, that server is hacked and the, the data is stolen? You know, uh, well, specifically with the real estate case, uh, if you had the, the the data is public, so it's hard to steal public data. But moving on, so there's a lot of speculation. I, I mean, I guess everyone agrees with that that this is a highly speculative asset class. Now, point number three: Ethereum and Bitcoin are commodities, not currency. This is this is the old. This is one of the oldest debates sort of to have. Um, and Hal's very good at articulating what, uh, you know, taking both kind of cases. But uh, JBL, you make the argument that uh, cryptocurrencies aren't really currency like dollars. They're commodities, which is to say stores of value closer to gold or pork bellies than the coins or paper money. Hal, go. Oh, I, I mean, I would like to hear... You, uh, <laughs> I'd like to hear him uh, evolve on that a little bit more before I give my answer, actually, because I'm cu I'm really curious. Well, yeah, I mean, the you know, the, there are philosophical differences between what is what is the difference between something that is a currency and something that is a store of value, and uh, a stock is a store of value, a pork belly, as I said, is a store of value, gold is a store of value, diamonds are a store of value. Um, but currencies are different. And the, the idea behind currencies is that they become useful for exchanging value because of their relative stability. And uh, for other reasons, too, because they are, you know, backed by a government or tied to some other notional value uh, or for simple reasons like they are portable. And compressible, right? I mean, you can you can walk around with two thousand dollars worth of value in your pocket of of cash more easily than you can of uh, of gold, right? I think that as things stand right now, uh, when you have Bitcoin and Ethereum moving in value as volatilely as they are, they simply don't function well as currency, and. That doesn't make them worthless, you know, in the same way that owning gold or uh, owning any other commodity isn't worthless. It, it, it's an asset class. But as, as a point of like actual, is it a currency? Not really. Now, Ethereum is super useful and super interesting. But it, it does seem to me, and, and maybe Hal will tell me, I'm, I'm sure that Hal will tell me I'm wrong about this, that Ethereum winds up being mostly just a layer of math that sits in between the actual currency and the good that you're buying when you're in crypto. Yeah, yeah. So I'm I'm 100% with you on Bitcoin doesn't work well. I would change I would change the statement to not say that Bitcoin is not a currency. I would say that Bitcoin does not work well in its current form as a currency. And so here's 
here's how I here's how I view it. Like Bitcoin is basically this limited space in the most protected secure network in the world, right? So at the moment, like yeah, everyone's um using it as a store value, right? Because that 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 seems to make a lot of sense to like especially people large investors, right? But then you get you get smaller and smaller and then you get to people like me who what what I've done is I've taken my bitcoin onto the ethereum network so I can, I can wrap my bitcoin in ethereum smart contracts so I'm taking on risk right I'm no longer I'm no longer at the safest asset in the world I have the safest asset in the world wrapped in you know one of the most safest networks in the world and then you can take that bitcoin lock it into you know these these smart contracts and generate a currency on top of that right and and so that currency can be built to act more like a, a currency that we're used to. One one example of that is DAI, D-A-I, which is uh, people refer to as a stable coin. And, uh, you know, to be fair, it's like, I think, 45% backed by like USDC. So it's basically a stable coin. But it has this basket of Ethereum and Bitcoin that people lock into, you know, these, these long-term loan agreements, basically, on chain to mint this currency. So like in this weird way, it's like, okay, yeah, Bitcoin is a sort of value that enables um, the creation of a currency on top of it. Like in the same way that you could, you know, basically make like paper notes for gold or whatever. So then, yeah, it's sending gold back and forth. sounds obnoxious, but like if we all had a bunch of pieces of paper that said, Hey, this is worth, x amount of gold if you go to the federal reserve that's like that is a currency right so um yeah i i guess i guess that's it so in my opinion yeah bitcoin not a currency really ethereum is as far as you can get from a currency the only thing weird about ethereum is you have to spend ethereum to use ethereum so it is a currency in the sense that like I myself and many other I think there's like millions of of wallets now are spending Ethereum on a day-to-day basis as if I'm paying the state of Ethereum in their own currency, right? Like I have a debt to pay to Ethereum and they want it from me in Ethereum. They don't want it from me in USDC. So can can you work me walk me through a little bit what you mean when you say that you have your Bitcoin wrapped in Ethereum? Yeah, so there's a protocol called REN, um, which basically allows you through this sort of, you know, there's always some points of uh, some points of centralization, but in the best decentralized way possible, where there's no one point of failure, you can use a smart contract that basically I'm, I'm basically giving up my per- permission to move my Bitcoin, and then that smart contract itself has a secret code that. If, you know, from my Ethereum wallet, if I say, hey, I want to move this around, I can, you know, I can get the Bitcoin back out using using some technology and then I can move the Bitcoin around and it moves around just like Ethereum. So I'm spending Ethereum to move my Bitcoin across the Ethereum network. So, yeah, I mean, there's 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 a couple of different implementations of it. There's this thing called wrap Bitcoin where you can go to a company and then that company will wrap the Bitcoin for you. But then you have like that point of centralization, which they've done their best. They have like, it's not just like one company. It's like a group of, um, you know, I, I can't remember what they call them, but they basically give permission to all these third parties to wrap the Bitcoin for you. So there is some decentralization. 
Um, but at, and in essence, what you're doing is you're taking Bitcoin, wrapping it in an Ethereum smart contract, and then now it like looks like Ethereum, but it's worth Bitcoin. So from a global macro perspective, global macro trader, you're both wrong. One, I think you can't call it a commodity. Here's why. For the first time, unfortunately, and I was on the wrong side of this trade, um, oil in 2020 went negative. So it cost money actually to, and people were paying people to take the commodity off their hands for the first time in history. No one had ever seen that before. I don't think Bitcoin can go below zero. Um, secondly, currencies, it is a currency because there are no currencies. As someone who trades a lot of foreign currencies against the dollar, it's just one big relative value trade. I don't have to, you know, have big deep thoughts about the Australian uh, Central Bank or the Japanese Central Bank or whatever. Things just look cheap relative to each other. And everything in trading, whether it's a stock versus the U.S. dollar, Everything is a currency because everything is a relative value trade. I, I am willing to stipulate to the correctness of that view, so long as we acknowledge that it is almost entirely theoretical and philosophical. And it, not, is. it is not practical at the level of, of normal. I, I normal would say that. See, I think I, I, no. I think I think that's a good point that you just brought up because everybody, like, what are we doing here? Right? We're all we're all just like there's this brand new thing that exists in the world. It's called Bitcoin. Along with it came this thing that's Ethereum, which I will, you know, I, I read an article just a couple of days ago. It's just like, look, Ethereum, the decision that Ethereum is like now something that we can talk about in a podcast and people don't just like immediately close this, you know, and stop listening. Um, that's new. Like that only happened like in the last year. Like now everyone's like, oh, yeah, it's Bitcoin and Ethereum. Sure, sure, sure. But like, you know, really what we're talking about is there's this brand new thing called Bitcoin. Nobody really gets it like no one understands it and we're all just trying to like pigeonhole it back into the things we understand right so yeah we're gonna we're gonna go through these like processes of is it a currency is it a commodity does it have you know store value but i i I really don't think it is any of those things and one day you know people are just going to be like oh yeah it's just bitcoin right And then point number uh, four is that uh, Bitcoin and Ethereum have supply constraints. In the crypto world, there are Ethereum and Bitcoin maxis, people who believe that one of those currencies is dramatically undervalued and destined to rule supreme. And I think we've kind of already addressed that, but um, uh, I'm a centrist Bitcoin maxi or whatever Gary Gensler is. In other words... I believe it's real and it has it is a store of value, but I don't believe that we have to kill the US dollar in order to, you know, like have Bitcoin be of of use. And I think how you're pretty much on the same page and JVL, do you differ in that that regard at all? Uh no, no. I in fact if if I had if you told me to pick one of them to be a maxi of, I'd probably pick Ethereum because it's more useful. Um but, that's uh, what it was this summer. I became the, okay. Oh, see, that's that's interesting. I, yeah, yeah. I, well, can I? I just I want to represent like the big the Bitcoin maxi view. Um, the here it is. Like, okay, you make Bitcoin, right? Bitcoin has a fixed supply that uh, let's just let's just let's just make some assumptions and like not argue these points. Okay, Bitcoin has a fixed supply of twenty one million that can never be changed. So it, it you know it it's um, accessible to anyone in the world with a computer. So for the first time ever in human history, 
we now have the, the, the number one, we have created it, right? Because everything else in, in, in our world, like you can subdivide, you can put together, whatever. But Bitcoin is like the, the first thing that's ever existed that is equal to one. But, you know, okay, whatever, multiply that by 21 million. So then you theoretically should be able to take every single thing else in existence and measure it using that ruler. So Bitcoin is the ruler. And then what we're going to, what we're, we've started 12 years ago is we started the process of measuring the universe. And so, like, theoretically, whatever we come up with the, the final US dollar value of the universe, that should be equal to Bitcoin. And so, if Ethereum becomes worth, 80 bajillion dollars, that value should end up flowing back into Bitcoin eventually. That's that's the Bitcoin maxi argument. Are you buying it, JBL? Uh, I mean, it's interesting. I'm not sure that I buy it. Uh, because again, the, the Ethereum, while the supply of Ethereum can in theory extend for forever, in practice it probably can't. Um, and I, I do wonder... In, Hal, you can you can speak to this, right? I mean, so you can't increase the supply of Bitcoin, but you can increase how finely you can slice it, right? I mean, yeah, absolutely. Bitcoin Bitcoin is currently sliceable down to what eight digits? Uh, uh, I think it's eight digits. Yeah, something a hundred millionth. Yeah. Is it written anywhere that you couldn't slice it to ten digits? No, it's actually in the code that we could start slicing it down even further and further. So isn't yeah. that tantamount to expanding the supply? It is tantamount to user experience and usability, right? Because um, you're basically allowing more room for more money to come in, in a way, like from a computer standpoint. So it's a weird, I mean, it's a, it's a good point. You're creating more units of it. Is the is the thing though, right? I mean, this is the you're, again the, the idea that it's finite at twenty one million. That's a notional fi- finality. It's only fi- yeah, it's only it's finite like, if you can't the, if you have an, no, a no, fundamental it, particle, right? I think mean, about once it, you start um, being able to take the atom apart and uh, you know down to the electron level and then the neutrino level and then the, the quark level, like all of a sudden your fundamental particle stuff. Right, but you still have you still have as many atoms. But the 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 key point would be let's let's just imagine the situation back into like a dollar is that okay we have a bunch of everyone has a bunch of dollars right and then all of a sudden the price of goods uh like the, the for a bag of bread it costs 100 bucks one of the things the US government could do is is send you know be like okay well now uh, everyone's going to come to your house and, and split that $100 into, you know, literal ones. And now you can, I, I guess the price of bread going to 100 doesn't make any sense. But the point is like, oh, yeah, we're out of money. There it is. That's that's sorry. I got it right now. Okay, we're out of money. The U.S. government can no longer uh, print any more money some for some reason. So we need all of you guys to just like cut your $100 bills into 100 pieces. And now everybody will use... Um, those pieces that we cut up uh, as money. So uh, you didn't really expand the supply. You just took all of the existing supply and you redefined, like, you know, w- what it means to use it, basically. Well, I, I, I guess I just don't buy that, right? I mean, what, so what is the, the supply? The idea of the, the supply is notional. I do have right? to stop you, is- though, and, and bring it. Imagine, imagine we get to the point where I don't, 
we need to divide Bitcoin further than a hundred million. <laughs> what is that? Where I mean, that's that's a pretty hypothetical world that has absolutely given up on all of their all other stores of value, and Bitcoin has become worth the stock market, the commodities market, the currencies market. Like, uh, so so yeah, Bitcoin could absorb everything before we even have to have that that conversation. Of a Turkish lira, hundred thousand. They just Turkish sort of redecimalized their currency. So I don't think you can do that with Bitcoin. But the the main part of the podcast, the guys, the reason I want to have you two in particular on together is DAOs are a mashup of a co-op with a hedge fund. And what are DAOs? And I got to know JVL as we're both two people who are deeply concerned about the rise of authoritarianism, both at home and abroad and the maintenance of American democracy above, you know, policy even. Right. And so, um, DAOs, I really believe and do represent a, uh, democratic, uh, movement first that has an economic component as, as, as compared to an economic incentive structure that accidentally got democratic. So, how, if you could talk about, you know, your experience in a DAO and then, um, JVL, see if you, you buy what I'm selling when I think that DAOs are really about a, a democratization movement. Yeah. Let me just, uh, perfect, <laughs> perfect moment. Um, for the last, I guess it's been 72 hours or more than that. I have been working with the community members at Badger DAO, um, because there was a, $110 million um, hack where users uh, lost a bunch of their funds. And it has been common across a lot of uh, DeFi style crypto protocols or whatever that when a hack like this happens that, you know, there's some restitution that goes out to the people that lost money. Uh, in this case, if you go read about, I posted it in, in Footguns, if you go read about what happened, the situation was extremely complex. Um, and in the spirit of decentralized autonomous organizations, DAOs, which I think Badger is one of the best of being on the team, um, we have not just been like, hey, this is what we should do and you guys should get all your money and whatever. What we've been doing is going through the governance process of drafting essentially legislation, taking it to the community for feedback, you know, taking that feedback back into the legislation, taking it to the community for feedback, iterating on that process, trying to find anything that is an adjustable um, parameter, and then, uh, you know, creating a way for the community to directly vote using their Badger tokens, right? So this is tying directly the value of this governance system into the the voting so so you cannot vote if you do not hold tokens um and then you know you can come in and use the system right but you're you're forfeiting like your right to vote basically to just like come in and and use the system and you know to to just give you some idea what badger does is you can take that bitcoin that you wrapped on ethereum you can deposit it into the Badger app, and then the you know the developers, the teams, have written a bunch of smart contracts that will run off and and try and optimize uh, yield for you on that Bitcoin. So you're earning, earning you know basically something similar to what um, 
a savings account would look like or a high yield account or something like that. Um, but the main key element is that nothing gets done that doesn't go through governance and voted upon. So for instance, like the team has been empowered by the token holders to do certain tasks and, and then they're not also not allowed to, to do other things and, and things like that. So, yeah, I mean, that, that's sort of like the gist of it is that um, uh, the whole thing moves through the community, even though there are, you know, maybe some individuals like writing smart contracts or something like that. Do you buy it, JVL? I mean, I, I buy that that is one way to run a DAO. My uh, my experience is limited to the single DAO that I am a part of right now. And uh, I find it almost comically dumb in how it is run. I, I, I don't, so I'm not going to talk about the specific project because I don't want it to sound like I'm touting uh, this thing and I want people to buy it in or anything. Um, but the idea is it is an NFT where uh, the DAO is going to have a treasury. The treasury is going to go out and purchase other NFTs and that the code on the NFT is written as such so that Everybody who holds one of the tokens uh, has fractionalized watch-only permissions for any other NFT the DAO owns. Meaning uh, if you buy, if the DAO purchases an NFT world, everybody who is part of the DAO has access to the NFT world that the DAO owns. So it sounds sort of interesting. I, I was interested in it. The practical uh, how it all works has been like watching a fifth grade student council. It's a bunch of anonymous avatars. Can I, can I stop, stop you yeah. there? Because like, to me, the, the essence of like democracy and American style democracy is it is sloppy. It should look like a fifth grade student council meeting. Um, maybe not at the senatorial level, perhaps, but... Democracy is is the net sum. American democracy is the net sum of local democracy, and these are these are transnational people. I mean, the sushi swap people delayed a vote so that the people who owned sushi in Asia could vote. I mean, corporations don't do that, and um, so local school board meetings, although they turn into kind of a farce as you see them on Twitter or whatever, that's where the real like if you have a problem in your life. Changes are the first person you need to call is your local councilman, not the president, not tweet at someone, not get angry, you know. And then if that doesn't work, call your state representative. If that doesn't work, call your state senator. Try to get in touch with your governor. Then go to your congressman, you know, work, work your way up. But our politics has become so nationalized that people have forgotten about the local councilman. And what I think the DAOs are doing is they're going back and creating the local councilmen of this ecosystem, and it's sloppy and it's messy. And you've got some people come running in and complaining that a dog's barking too much. And there's not, you know, enough stop signs that around a, a critical intersection or whatever. And, and everyone's real childish at times and everyone's very mature at times. But that's the beauty of democracy. It's a freak show. And out of that freak show is strength. Well, I mean, OK, so maybe. But also at the level of governance, it has to be workable. So let me just give you the 90 second version of what's happening inside my DAO right now. So uh, they, the DAO voted on beginning to make NFT acquisitions. So great. Okay. This vote was conducted on Discord by just having people do thumbs up emojis. 
okay, fair enough, I guess. Uh, it's like the equivalent of a voice vote in the, in, in the house or something. Um, but then the process for, well, how does, how does the Dow decide what it is going to acquire? Uh, has no organization, which is sort of important because if you have a bunch I mean, of, I'll just be honest with you. It just sounds like you got a bad Dow. <laughs> well, no, no, but I'm, what, what I'm saying though is there, there, there may be good DAOs and there may be bad DAOs and there may be, may, maybe there is a best in class way to organize all of these things that will eventually become standardized for how DAOs are run. Uh, yeah, I mean that's that's why I'm so bullish on on Badger and why I'm a part of it is because I feel like the the only two I've seen, well, sorry, three. I'll throw uh, I, and you know my my whole thesis around why I'm writing foot guns is like I go in, I use these things. Um, so from what I've seen, Sushi Swap, Olympus DAO, and Badger DAO are the only people that are like trying to push the governance part of everything, and everybody else. Like, do you, you are you familiar with the ICO boom of like 2017, like when no. when Bitcoin ran up? Okay, so what happened in 2017 was you know everyone discovered Ethereum and was just like, oh, you know what? I can go on Ethereum and I can make an ERC20 token, which is just a cryptocurrency, right? And then no one's going to stop me, and then I can just go and get it listed on some centralized exchange. So that's that's the only thing I have to do, and then I can just sell this, this token to a bunch of people. So you had like you know there was some some ICO that was like, oh, we're going to relaunch American football inside of an arena. And if you own this token, you get a, you get a vote to make the players run certain plays or whatever. Like, you know, this thing was just a complete scam. They sold a bunch of the token and then, uh, you know, just peaced out and never even tried to do anything. So I, I truly believe that what's going on right now in crypto is the same thing with DAOs, which is people are just like, um, you know, let's just throw the name DAO on it. Let's have like a couple of votes here and there so that it's like, you know, it fits, it fits with the scam basically. And then, uh, you know, as soon as we get enough money in here, let's piece the fuck out basically. <laughs> I mean, and maybe not all of them are trying to piece out, but um, they're definitely not, they definitely don't have the interest of like decentralized governance in mind. Their, their, their interest is in just making a bunch of money. And the gamble that we're taking with Badger is that building out this this governance system correctly will actually be um, a, a, you know a, a um, uncorrelated risk that investors will want to take because we won't be moving with the rest of the market because we have a different structure of, of governance and money. I mean, I I do wonder whether or not uh, engineers are best suited to think through. Ideas about governance. I mean, this is you know. Yeah, well, so that's I mean, so Badger's, through American Badger's politics. Team is, is, Badger's is team is forty five people with um. You know, we have we have people that are have legal backgrounds. We have entrepreneurs. We have we, we literally have two economists. Um, we have myself with my thinking. You know, we have uh, engineers. We have um. We have you know. There's literally someone on the team that's only it's their a, job is to organize this. But but JBL, continue with that thought. What you're saying about engineers. Well, this is so there, you know, there is this this strain of thought running through political philosophy, which is, you know, you see it rear its head all the time, right? That, uh, well, if we just put the technocrats in charge, if we just put the engineers, they would come up with the with the way to fix all of this so we don't get any of the messiness. And it never quite works because 
the people are the problem, right? And this is, you know, I mean, look, we may wind up in a dystopian nightmare here in America within four years, and it may well be because people choose it. You know, like this is this is <laughs> this is a problem. Authoritarianism does not. Yeah, always yeah the will come. the will of the people um, does, isn't necessarily uh, always the best thing. <laughs> Yeah, no, that's totally, totally the case. So that's, I, that's I don't why know. We, we try to create in Western liberal democracy, we, we try to create elements of aristocracy in the Senate, elements of representational you know, in the House, and representation of a monarchy that can be switched out every four years. And we try to create these things. What's what's odd about the the founding of America is that uh, they based it all on the Roman Republic, which failed. So I, I just it's kind of interesting that you pick a failure. As a yeah, uh, no, but and, they're all failures, and, right? I mean, America, you can't, yeah, everything America, fails eventually. I mean, technically, yeah, technically. I mean, that's how I. That's that's kind of why I'm on this journey, right, with the with the Dow, because I don't. I mean, I, I think I've tried to make it clear that I don't think that there is a Dow that exists. I think that everyone has has thrown the name Dow on their project, and that we are in a moment of experimentation, trying to figure out if the concept of a Dow can exist and you know so far uh, most of what all the criticism coming from myself and then also like people in the space and and it sounds like you is that the governance structures that have been set up within these DAOs are farcical like for I would say 99.9% of the projects yeah I think I think just to to make an observation here it's sort of like you know North Korea technically called the Democratic People's Republic of Korea, what, right? Um, East Germany was the Democratic, whatever. They had they had faux democracy uh, attached to them. I think DAOs are sorting themselves out in that same way. Like, there are people who are faking the democratic trend. But I, I just have to say, as is, is we watch these currents sort of move through the zeitgeist of our moment, true DAOs, like the one that Hal is involved in, Disclosure: I'm along the token. Um, the uh, uh, um, true DAOs like that, I think, are good in a time when we're having, you know, some serious, like you're talking about, four years we could be living in dystopian nightmare because people chose it. I think you got to look at DAOs with some degree of hope, and that, you know, maybe maybe a fifth fifth uh, fifth grade student council meeting isn't all that bad uh, as a place to start. But I, I totally see what you're saying, Hal. It's like the you know, North Korea calling itself the Democratic People's Republic of Korea or whatever. It's totally not. Um, so there's a there's a sort of uh, uh, Fugazi uh, element to DAOs as they exist right now. I would just say as the whole thing with the hedge fund, you make analogy to a hedge fund. No, because hedge funds always win because fees <laughs> and um, get an, an, an outsourced and usually you're using other people's money to take risk in an unusual way. And you're taking 20% of the profits home with you at long-term capital gains rates and getting paid 2% on the money to manage it for just being you, which is a system I've taken advantage of for, you know, the last 15 years, but um, it's not always done with people's best, best interest. Right. Wait. So I have a question, JVL. So this DAO that you're part of with the NFTs and stuff. So you said, so you see this, you see this management going on that you're not um, proud of or happy to be a part of, or, or you're, you, you, you think it could be better. Have you raised this concern like in their discord or something like that? I, I, I have 
tried to. I, I mostly lurk, but I, I talked to, with one of the devs about this yesterday. And, uh, you know, very well-meaning, like, oh, yeah, no, we know it's a problem. We're working on it. We're going to have the things are going to be sorted out soon. I was like, okay, sure. Yeah, so, I mean, right, that's that, that's that moment. And I think this is, uh, this is what I've been going through. Uh, you know, a lot of people lost money in, in Badger and... Uh, I'm trying my best to, as you know, as someone being paid by the DAO to represent the DAO, and in doing so, like it's 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 a matter of like letting go of like my personal beliefs and that sort of thing, and just like focusing on like what do we know, what are the facts, like you know, uh, what what is what does the future look like where we act this way? What does the future look like where we act that way? And I mean, it's just it's incredibly hard. And then what makes it even harder is like. In the last um, 72 hours, like I've had voice calls with, I don't know, 25 people who I've never seen their faces, right? So I have to just like operate in every single call as if the person I'm talking to is doing good, even though they might be a, a malicious actor or something like that. You know what I mean? So it's a, it's a weird, weird new world in a, in a weird way of doing business, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah, and it's interesting. Again, I... Uh, I am along for the ride here because I've treated the entire thing simply as I am paying to learn uh, as if as if my my NFT purchases were basically the fees to enter a workshop. Uh, and so I, you know, I don't have any real skin in the game in that way. And it's it's one of the reasons actually where I'm not pulling out of this thing, because I, I would like to if this is what a failed or scammy DAO looks like, then I want to see that from the inside and watch it unfold. So. Definitely. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Maybe I got to get into Badger. Maybe that's what I because I want to if I want to see what real the future of the future of good DAOs. Can hey, be I like. mean the thing the thing is like you go on you go on CoinGecko.com, you search a project. Generally, it has a di- oh, well. First of all, if it doesn't have a Discord link, move on. <laughs> if there is a Discord link, just join the Discord. Like this is the kind of the thing I've been telling people. Like you don't you don't have to go buy the token. <laughs> you can go and watch what's happening and then make a decision. Right. This is the reason I don't like buying individual name stocks. Is because I don't I can't get the visibility. You know, as a private equity investor, you you are you are controlling management. You're deciding who is management, and so. I don't like owning like Tesla stock because you can't decide what's going. You don't. It's a black box. Like the governance part of it, it's a black box. Whereas this is taking place in public. No, it's the safest bet you could possibly get because you're close to Elon Musk, and that is how <laughs> finance works these days. The closer Elon, you are to Elon Musk, the more money you make. He is to me. He is um, on our on our thing, JBL. He is a he is is an anti anti. Uh, there's a strong 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 theme of the anti-antis dripping into sort of alt finance world you know leave california nancy pelosi this nancy pelosi meme and nancy pelosi is a corrupt hedge fund manager like it's just this you know again lack of faith in institutions that's just sort of coming out of nowhere but all leads back to money you make uh, another great point in your article or raise it another great point in your article uh, jvl which is um the the big thing that you've learned so far is that the entire blockchain NFT crypto movement is a rebellion against the fundamental nature of the internet. The internet at its essence, you argue, is a machine that reduces all marginal cost to zero. This is a very interesting point given a converse, something that Hal and I talk about all, uh, a lot, which is 
why is the price of Ethereum going up when everyone complains about the fees? Yeah, I don't know why. I mean, it's it's uh, it is weird to try to create scarcity out of a resource which is essentially designed to not be scarce. But this is humanity, right? This is what this is what human beings do. Well, so the, okay, so this this is. I just want to make this one point about Bitcoin maximalism, right? Is that it is incredibly hard, provably incredibly hard, to change um, the Bitcoin code. And twenty seventeen is a perfect example. Bitcoin was attacked by multiple organizations. This whole thing about Bitcoin Cash, Bitcoin SV, these all things are complete scams. In an attempt to create a new coin that. Um, would make a more um, uh, uh, what's the word like basically the, the the miners of the coin would become a lot more profitable and the network would lose a lot of security um, so yeah so Bitcoin was attacked and hardened by 2017 Ethereum is currently being attacked right by Solana uh, uh, Cardano whatever Avalanche Atom all, you know I could, I could name like 20 if we really wanted to go there Um and Ethereum has to harden, right? So, like, this is the hardening moment for Ethereum. Does Ethereum come out on the other side of this? Or do we all say, hey, actually, Ethereum it was never as safe, was never as decentralized as Bitcoin. So why do we care about um, decentralization within that ecosystem? Why don't we just, like, get decentralized by splitting our project across, like, all these different chains and stuff like that? So... Um, I, yeah, yeah, I, I just, I, I, whatever. I just needed to bring that up because, uh, because what you said. So I have one question for you, JVL. You've written a book on, uh, demographics and what do you think the intersection of demographics and crypto is? You know, I don't, I don't know. Uh, I was not prepared for that. I had not packed for this, um, I mean, I, I am, I'm short everything. I am, I am short America. I am short the world. I am short liberalism uh, in general. Uh, demographics is part of it. You know, I, I, I don't want to like recapitulate my book for you, but, uh, but bad things are happening and they're happening all across the world in reasonably rapid succession uh, demographically, and it's going to put a lot of stress on the world. Uh, and what that does for crypto, I don't know. I don't know if upset to the status quo helps crypto or hurts it in the long run, right? I mean, what happens if China collapses? Is that good for crypto or bad for crypto? Uh, you know, which isn't to say that the regime in China is going to collapse, but just that the, the demographic pressures, which the Chinese regime is going to experience over the next 10 or 20 years are going to be pretty extreme. Uh, and I don't, I don't know. What do you guys think? Like, how does you know, if, if you have the, the mounting chances of geopolitical instability in many places across the world over a, a decade horizon, what does that do for crypto? I think that, uh, yeah, go I'll, ahead. I'll, I'll, yeah, I'll just say first, one of the things I think that, that, that makes crypto possible is that you have it, uh, two generations at play in the crypto markets. One has grown up with a mobile phone and, and only knows a mobile phone. So the idea of, and it's why pol politics, it's why we elected a fake reality television star to begin with. 
And the, when you live off of a phone, like everything just merges together. Your personal, your private, political, it's all just one big thing. And so when you get, you know, Gen Z or honestly, the people who use iPads the most I've noticed are like people my parents' age, like 80, mm-hmm. and then like five-year-olds. Um, and so you've got boomer involvement in, in crypto. And that's what we talk about a lot. It's like, you know, what if the price of Bitcoin or Ethereum is really controlled by the Chipotle dad who's just bored in line and has a Coinbase account? It's like, well, I don't know what any of this is, but... Bitcoin costs, you know, $47,000 and I can't afford that, but I can uh, go buy me one of these Ethereums here. So I'm going to go do that. You know, who's controlling the, the price of this market, given all the fundamentals that you've laid out in your articles? One of the co- questions we continually sort of ask each other, but geopolitical collapse in Bitcoin and crypto is a, is a, it's a, it's a, it's, a, it's an interesting, it's a, it's an interesting question, but I just think that people don't, the blurring, I, I feel like if you're long DeFi, you're essentially long the same people who have been on the internet now continuously for years. And some are coming in and, and whatever, but it's, it, it's, it's basically monetizing AOL chat rooms, which AOL did a good job of. So um, you're, you're, you're sort of long the movement, I guess is one way to put it. But uh, how? Um, yeah, I think that's the whole th- the whole thing behind the the DAO, right? I mean, the you have you have a physical world that everyone has sort of feels like, oh, well, I don't have control here. I don't know what to do. And then you know now you have this money and these governments that are forming like in the metaverse, right? Um, so I, yeah, I think um, I think people would swing harder on that because. They just, you know, what's that suit like Tina, right? There's no alternative. So they're just like, all right, screw it. The real world didn't work for me. Like time to buy some crypto coins and start playing, you know, whatever World of Warcraft or something for the rest of my life um, because I don't want to go outside anymore. So, yeah, I don't know. I mean, that's a that's a really sad place to live in, I think. But um, I don't know. I, I do think that the Internet and governance, governing bodies that only exist uh, essentially in the metaverse, right? Uh, we're going to use that terminology um, would be appealing in a, in a total shitty world. <laughs> okay. So now it's time for um, the lightning round, which is just word associations. Um, and so we try to keep it to totally still us from the Sherman show from double on funds, whatever, but um, we try to keep it to like one word answers uh, JVL, um, but no one ever does it. So I'm just going to throw out just different words to you and you tell me what you think. And so first one is Bitcoin. One word, one word response. Josh Hawley. <laughs> Josh Hawley. Okay, I was not prepared. Talk about not being prepared for something. Okay, Josh Hawley. Same, same with the Bitcoin maximalist. Okay. All right. Oil. Islam. Okay. I, I, I'm going to try to honor the one word thing here. Yeah, no, you're. Doing I was going to really say Holly. I was going to say Holly, but then I thought you would probably go to Smoot Holly or something like that, and not to the not to Josh Holly. <laughs> um. So uh, Islam. Explain that one a little bit. 
uh, just the, the, you know, oil is wrapped up in the politics of the Middle East. Okay. That makes so, sense. That made sense to me. Yeah, no, it, it definitely made sense. I just, I, I just want to make sure we're on the same page. Um, Joe Biden. Old. <laughs> speaks, for, speaks for itself. Uh, build back better. Dead. Inflation. Bad. Bad and continuing, or 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 yes, <laughs> just yes. generally bad. Yeah, just generally bad, bad, but also also uh, bad into our future. Okay. Yeah. Sorry, Bitcoin Maxilus. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, okay, and then um, mountains. At. At. Appalachian Trail. Very good. Very very good. Um, Tennessee. Toothless. <laughs> That's a nice one. I like that one. Yeah, no, Hal and I broke from Tennessee originally. Um, so, uh, Hal, give him, give him, give him a couple. Dow. Speculation. Money. Good. Currency. Stable. Okay. You're too good I, at this, JBL. I feel you're like, I feel like I'm, you the, I'm, I'm staying on one word free associations. I know you're doing, you're doing so well. Right, right. I got, oh, I got oh. one. Um, American football. Eagles. Nice. <laughs> Very cool. Yeah, no, you're doing you're doing great. Usually, that kind of it sparks a little uh, uh, debate between between because no one ever sticks hey, to the hey, one. Hold on, thing. let's 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 rip off. Um, I don't even know if he still does this, but Pomp Anthony Pompliano and his old podcast or whatever, he'd be like, "Okay, do you believe in aliens? Believe in aliens, or uh, do you think do you think that there could be other things you know besides us that exist somewhere, other life somewhere in the universe?" Yeah, you're. I mean, you're, the universe is a very big place. You're going to find at some point. You're going to find some sort of microorganism which is alive somewhere. That there is water. Uh, th- there will be extraterrestrial life in the strictest sense of the word. So you don't uh, necessarily think that there's like little green men, like Mars attacks sort of style. Uh, I mean, this is you know, this is the the the, the Fermi paradox, right? Um, it seems to me that. Uh, the universe is so vast and space is so big that it is likely that a, there's other intelligent life and likely that we would never find each other. This is the, you know, this is, I don't know if you guys are into sci-fi stuff. I'm, I am. Oh yeah. Super duper into hard sci-fi stuff. And my background is in astrophysics and and those sorts of things. Yeah. I mean, the problem is always distances. Right. The problem is just distances. And distance is just a measure of time. Well, okay. Very good. Okay. Okay. So then I got this. This is it. This is the final one. Who is Satoshi Nakamoto? You know, this is, I really, really, I assume that it is not a person, but a collective. But maybe I'm wrong. Do you, I mean, is, is, how is the, is the general belief that this could have been a project put together by one person? I have I have my own 
personal opinions. I wear a shirt around all the time that says, who is Satoshi Nakamoto? I think this is the most interesting question in the world right now. And it pisses me off that there aren't more people talking about it. Do you think we will ever know? Um, that is an, another fascinating question. I would, I would put the odds extremely low that we'll ever know the real answer. And, and I'll ask you one more question. Do you think that Bitcoin as an institution would be better served by the world knowing or by the world not knowing? Not knowing. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I actually tend to think that that if the identity of Satoshi Nakamoto was known, it would have impeded the the growth of Bitcoin. Yeah, yeah. So it was aliens. <laughs> I mean, I'm not saying it was aliens, right? You're but it was aliens. questions. You're just asking yeah. questions. Just want to ask some questions. The origin myths are extremely important to to everything. I mean, that's what the whole you know 1776 versus 1619 or whatever project debate is about right i mean basically you need to no, know that's really just about racism it's just okay about... <laughs> fair enough it's really but, not hard to figure out what look, that's about look as an american indian we're just trying to get in the fucking textbooks you know I mean, <laughs> <laughs> we just want to be in there we, i don't care if it's racist about us we just want to be included uh but uh so um so we've got final stretch here uh we jbl is there anything you Curious about crypto that you've always wanted to ask an expert, ask how now. I didn't pack for that either. I'm sorry. I should have. Um, but uh, no, but you know, I'm, I'll think of 15 questions after we get off the show and I will wind up emailing you guys. Absolutely. So how oh, well, we're always here. How as a, a, a journalist now, you know, writing foot guns and everything, you got a real journalism expert on the line, so to speak. Do you have any questions for him about best practices, et cetera, in journalism? Yeah, I mean, let's say let's say you're interviewing someone that's like you're nervous about or whatever. How I mean, are you are you trying to like over prepare for this interview? Are you are you reading all their things and whatever? Are you um are you just trying to focus more on like what you think the general public like wants to hear sort of side of things? No, you should so you should always over prepare. Uh because what will make an interesting interview is if the interview is interesting to you. And so it, this is, this is, that all, makes a lot of sense. Not, it's not universally true, but it's like 99.9% true that if you are highly interested in something, uh, then that will come through in, in the interview. And that is what will make it. The worst interviews are just the pro forma ones where people are asking obvious questions dutifully. So don't do that. Awesome. Yeah. yeah. No, no, that, that's great. Do you, how would you grade foot guns? I mean, I gave you gift subscription to it. You have access to the articles. What, what, what grade would you, I mean, you're, you write a newsletter of newsletters. How are we doing? Uh, I believe I've linked to you guys in the newsletter of newsletters. Yes. Thank you. Yeah. So, I mean, that is, that is an endorsement. It, it, it is not the, not the, not the case that, you know, I would say some form of regularity would be helpful, uh, even if it's just like, hey, we're going to have a post on Thursdays every week. Uh, yeah, well, well, we're working on it. I can I can tell you this, trying to do it in a uh, decentralized way. We are not a DAO, um, but we are taking steps towards decentralization. We have foot guns, news tokens. We've handed out 
a couple thousand of them to, I think we're at like 85 people or something. And uh, we're about to start doing some on-chain voting. And um, like we, ha- we have a guy that's signed up to start like writing for us. We have a guy that's helping me um, with the, doing the cheat sheet stuff. So yeah, I mean, I, I think we're actually uh, starting to move forward a little bit past just me uh, trying to get my thoughts out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I would say more content is not always what you need. Yeah, uh, sometimes it's just regularization of a schedule so that readers. Yeah, know, yeah, that that's you know, perfect. So yeah, I mean, readers readers don't need you three times a week necessarily, but they do need to know that I will I will get my foot guns uh, takes on you know every Wednesday or every Saturday or something like that. Yeah, I think one of the challenges we have at foot guns is how how am I actually do this for a living? Like, so the the you know the it's hard to. I mean, that's our pitch to, as to why to become a premium subscriber is that, you know, I'm actually trading today and I'm always trading. And how is how ABT is, always yeah, be trading? Always be trading. That's, I mean, I believe that. Like, there's always a trade somewhere. I mean, you can overtrade. That, that was a question I was going to ask you too. Is, do you trade at all, JVL? Uh, no. uh, like, uh, or investment? No. Yeah. No, I, I, there's only two things I do in my life. Uh, I, I work and I do family stuff and I don't do anything else. I don't have any hobbies, nothing like that. I don't build model ships. Yeah. Yeah. You do. You built a model or uh, a Lego Aston Martin with a jumping parachute thing and took it apart. 30 no, that's back. family stuff. I did that with my kids. That's, uh, okay. okay. Is, yeah. Now you should only, you should only do things you're good at. And, uh, and I'm not good at trading. And there's nothing I can learn from trading. How do you know that? Because I I sit there and I I listen to all your content, all the podcasts, I read all your newsletters, which are amazing, by the way, if I can plug, plug, you know, Bulwark, et cetera. Um, And I just think to myself, like, you know, I'm glad you're doing what you're doing because I get to consume it or whatever, but you made the best risk management partner in a hedge fund to ever walk the face of the planet. You see tail risk that no one else in politics sees. And, yeah, but that's uh, not good for trading, right? I mean, unless no, you're shorting stuff, right? No, it's great for trading because if you see the, t- the tails are where you make the fat tails are where you make all the money. Mm, well, maybe, maybe that's, uh, maybe that's the answer to it. But, uh, yeah, I don't maybe know, maybe you start a, maybe start a family DAO with your, uh, with your kids as a, <laughs> as a family oh, activity. Let's build a DAO. <laughs> Let's build a DAO. Yeah, now my my oldest is is doing Python right now, and so I will have him oh, come perfect. intern at Foot Guns. I just have uh, one final question, if you can spare like a couple minutes, JBL. Yeah, There's, I got to go soon. So, but, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, we're running along. Uh, this uh, this uh, very uh, funny, very funny. Yeah. No, I, but this uh, this uh, just on the science fiction wavelength. So you guys both mentioned you were big into sci-fi. I'm a, a Dune maximalist. Um, I know, I know, I knew it was going to get that response. And I found myself liking Dean more after you dismissed it as being the product of uh, of mushrooms. Um, and Dune, to me, uh, the whole my whole ambition in life, I was very disturbed by the most recent movie because my ambition in life when I saw it in 84 was to become a guild navigator, you know, uh, that I wanted to uh, uh, be able to fold space. I mean, it's a ridiculous concept, but... I would be willing to give up sort of, it's like trading, you know, you have to be willing to give up a lot of like fun activities or whatever, because you've always got a position on it. There's always something going on or, or whatnot. No banging Benny Jesserits for you. 
Yeah, like like mastery of a skill. You wanted to be a doctor. A doctor has being a doctor has a monastic style quality to it. You got to go on rotations when you're a resident for, for you know thirty six hours and never see your family for like six years. Is that how it is? I wouldn't know. <laughs> All right, fair enough. So, what sci fi is, is your your thing? I you know I like I like hard science fiction. Uh, I love the Red Mars. Books. Uh, you know I haven't read Red Mars. Um, oh, I you got that. All the Andy Weir stuff. Uh, I just finished a series. Uh, I can't remember the name of the author, uh, but it's, it's uh, oh, God, what's a Salvation, the Salvation series. Um, and a lot of the hard sci-fi stuff really is dealing with the idea of space being so big, right? It's it's wrestling with the problems of that. And uh, anyway, so those, those are my three, three, uh, three top top recommendations if you haven't read andy weir's first book uh everybody knows andy weir because he wrote the martian and they made it into a movie which is okay but uh his first book artemis is amazing and it's chinatown on the moon and i don't know how to give a better possible pitch for hard sci-fi except to say it's chinatown on the moon and it's amazing chinatown is one of those movies that i've tried to do but can't get through the first 10 minutes each time are you kidding uh, yeah it's no, classic it's just, I, I know, next thing I you're gonna think... tell me hey tombstone no i love tombstone this is one of the weirdest things about i pretty much agree with everything you say and then um like one out of 100 things like you're like oh that person's smart and they're like blocking me on three twitter accounts i'm like how can we have so many opinions and you'd be like john padora has is worth listening to you know it's just too I what about uh, how how your sci-fi yeah favorite sci-fi i mean it's called rendezvous with rama arthur yeah. c clark that's the one i recommended to you yeah yeah arthur clark i mean 2001 2010 he, he got crazy with 2061 and 3000 and whatever and that's, Look, that's I gotta funny. go. I gotta go back to Dowing the Dow. Remember, we're in a hyper, <laughs> hyper critical situation, trying to work with the community and stuff. And uh, JVL's got to get out of here. So, yeah. um, I'm I'm sure our uh, listeners yeah, are happy I, with this one. As I sign off on all our podcasts, uh, in in homage and with affection, uh, we'll be back later this week, and we'll, probably, and we'll do it all over again. Thank you for, so much for being our guest. Uh, JBL, and we look forward to having you in the future. Thanks, fellas. <laughs>